another episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nadin. What's good, Nadin? So I got a new idea for the podcast. You ready for this? New format. All right, hit me with it. No analysis, no takes, no discussion. All we do is we trade off reading box scores back and forth. Because <laughs> that way, we're guaranteed that nothing we say is going to blow up in our face literally 48 hours later for any reason, whether... Some crazy injury, some absurd coaching decision, some like, you know, just being flat out wrong because we come off last week's pod, excoriate the Bucks, you know, talk about how this team should be folded and sent to Mexico City. Then, you know, we we you you gave and I agreed. I can't I gotta say I agreed the Sixers a fifty one percent chance of advancing <laughs> to, to play the Nets in the conference final. And we started doing a Jazz Suns preview. So that's kind of how last week's episode went. I expect more of the same right now as soon as we say anything of note about any of what's going on today. Look, I told you this last week too. Like, I, If I had bet on any of these games, I would have lost money just left and right. Because anytime I thought there was a surefire thing that was going to happen, it didn't happen. So, you know, we, we, we'll get through all of it. I'm not... You know, I'm going to defend some of my takes still. You know, I'm, I'm still not high on the Bucks. That was no. The Bucks are going to be the first team to win the title while looking like generally shaky, <laughs> while firing their head the coach afterwards. Their, yeah, the entire time. Like, I could see the Bucks actually winning a title without correcting any of these issues that plagued them. Yeah. So let, let's not like forget about the journey to towards to where we got. Uh, you know, let's not only look at the results. We're still very data driven guys. We can't just. You know, yeah. Look at the end result and then act like our takes were wrong. But you yeah, can't be I too Machiavellian say. in the approach. But that's how yeah. NBA is evaluated, right? Like one that's guy, true. one day you're the you know you're the villain. The next day, Coach Bud is getting extended, right? So because he was a, he was going to be fired if Durant's foot was five inches to you know behind exactly. The line. It's a game of inches, and it's similar. You know when that Kawhi shot went down in 2019 against the Sixers. Think about how that would have changed the course of history if. If the Sixers Absolutely. did somehow we've get talked to the about finals. that a bunch. Yeah. Yeah, we've talked about that a bunch too. So this is another one of those moments, kind of the fork in the road moment, right? With with Durant and the Bucks. Before we get into the Eastern Conference, which I think uh has a lot of fun storylines, some on the court and of course some off the court. Um I won't do my victory lap yet on Ben Simmons, but we just came off uh literally minutes ago, the the Clippers and Suns played game two. One of the most bizarre uh, endings I think I've remembered in recent history. So obviously it was an amazing game. Um, DeAndre Aiden, absolutely brilliant uh, at a timeout play by Monty Williams to get DeAndre Aiden an alley-oop dunk with 0.9 seconds left. Clippers tried to inbounds full court, you know, did not go in and the Suns won 104-103. Now, a couple things to note from this. One is uh, the last 90, sorry, the last 90 seconds of, of game time took 33 minutes of real time, which featured the same number of field goals made, five, as official reviews. Um, the last 0.9 seconds took 11 minutes of real time. So this was not for the faint-hearted, but, you know, it was, there was like kind of the pot of the gold, pot of gold at the end of the, the rainbow here for anybody who stuck it out because it's past midnight on the East Coast. What a game, though. The Suns take a commanding 2-0 lead. What were your thoughts uh, coming off of tonight? It, it was a, a gutsy performance. I mean, campaign was, I think, the unsung hero for most of the game. Um, and look, this is this is a game in which 
they they looked like they had a hold on at the end. The Clippers came back at the, the last minute. And uh, Booker and PG were going shot for shot. And I think you got to feel confident about how the Suns went toe-to-toe with the Clippers. And yeah, it's kind of a coin flip in terms of who actually won that game. It could have gone either way. But Monty Williams with a great play, like you said, I think end-to-end, they should be really proud of that that win. And they're going to need it because Kawhi is day-to-day. And I don't know if the Clippers are serious about that, but if there is a chance, because it's only a knee sprain, that Kawhi comes back, you need to put your foot on their throat right now. And so I think the Suns did what they had to do. Well, it's cra- it's crazy, right? Because the Suns have now won nine straight playoff games, right? I, and this is not a team that you think of uh, as the type of juggernaut to rip nine straight off. Now, unpacking that a little bit, yes, it's three without, you know, against the Lakers without AD, four versus the Nuggets without Jamal Murray and a, you know, kind of hobbled Michael Porter Jr. And now two against the Clippers without Kawhi. Now, of course, they don't have Chris Paul. And it really seems like it's starting to align for Phoenix um, in a way that, you know, we know their history. Uh, it hasn't for them in, in years past. And that's one of the funny things about these playoffs. It hasn't for any of these teams. So whoever wins, it's like not only have they not been, you know, prominent in recent NBA history, they've been among the most cursed franchises amongst, you know, across the whole league, all four of these teams. Right. And so it's going to be really fun to see who kind of comes out right now. You got to like the Suns' chance of advances, advancing. And as much as I say that, this is now the third straight series that the Clippers fall behind 0-2. And we've seen them, of course, come back and win uh, the first two. So it's by no means over. But I did, I do think, you know, Chris Paul is more likely to come back than Kawhi. I think that's pretty fair to say. He's going to come back in either game three or game four, depending on when he's cleared. Uh, with Kawhi, like you said, it, it's day to day. We don't know if this is posturing. We don't know if this is some type of like mind game gamesmanship thing that they're trying to play. Well, you know, they know he has a much more severe injury than they're letting on. I just think that <laughs> I feel so bad for Paul George because yeah. he is among, I think, one of five or six players to start a playoffs with 15 straight games of 20 points or more and ever. And it's like Jordan, Kobe, Durant, those kind of guys, LeBron. And so, He's been awesome. Uh, even when he's had down shooting nights like he did, you know, early in the Jazz series, even game one here, he's made big shots. And tonight he brought them back. Uh, Phoenix was on the brink of kind of putting it away, right? When they went up six, they went up eight. He kept bringing them back. Um, and for him to kind of, he threw that absurd inbounds pass, which luckily didn't, you know, didn't cost them. And then the two missed free throws. Oh, man. Is he the most star-crossed, uh, you know, top guy of our era who knows but you got to feel for him after a night like tonight you got to feel for him he's been absolutely incredible you were trying to discredit his season this year when i was trying to hype him up for the all nba he's been he's been good man and i think that the thing with paul george is always the consistency in the playoffs and you said it like that consistency is finally here he's gonna have a couple off shooting nights but he's been much more aggressive this postseason than in past postseasons and the free throws were bad, and I felt bad, but um, I don't know, man. This Clippers team is – Ty Lu. I think we have to give him credit, too, for for how he's coached this team. They're, like, changing up rotations and starting lineups game to game. He is making adjustment after adjustment, um, and they are still in these games. Like, they're never giving up. They're fighting till the end. Without Kawhi, like, I think everyone forgets. You can roast Paul George all you want, but this was a game in which they still didn't have Kawhi on the road, and – um, one thing I, I like about the series, I think both coaches have been excellent. And oh, I think yes. Monty, yep. Monty Williams, like he, 
I said last year when the Suns went eight or no in the bubble, I was like, it's a fluke. They're not going to be that good this season, even with Chris Paul, or they'll make the playoffs, but a lower seed. Um, but this team is just always ready to play. And they're calm and collected. You expect Chris Paul, right, in the fourth quarter, he's the guy who's that stabilizing force. And they did fine just without him. And um, I don't think enough people are talking. I mean, I know he's getting coach of the year buzz, but he's done a phenomenal job, man. And he's always been known as a player's coach. But I think even in the in-game adjustments and what he's been doing with you know some of those out-of-bounds plays, he's been really good. Honestly, you can't say enough about the job you know, Monty Williams and Ty Lue have done, not just throughout the season, sorry, the playoffs, but really throughout the season, especially for Monty Williams. And now, like, giving Tibbs coach of the year continues to look dumber and dumber. Um, not that he didn't deserve it, but Monty was right there. I think we talked about him as being, you know, top two candidate, and he finished second. But ultimately, he's just taking it to a whole nother level. Like, he, he didn't have 100% Chris Paul in round one. He figured out a way to get past the Lakers. I think round two, let's give him a pass because it was a pretty easy series. I don't know that he did anything crazy. But round three, you, you know, what he did do in round two, for example, though, is that he made them pay, Denver pay for the guards that they were playing, which Portland couldn't do despite having, you know, a huge and similar guard advantage. And then this series, like Devin Booker, of course, goes off in, in game one. But for him to be able to, like, definitely plug campaign in, not, you know, all season, for him to get real contributions out of Torrey Craig, Cam Johnson, you know, he's still getting guys like uh, Mikel Bridges and Jay Crowder to, to play their roles. And then, you know, there's some level of credit he deserves for the ascension of DeAndre Ayton to turning into, you know, kind of an afterthought in that 2018 draft, despite being the number one pick to one of the best young bigs in the league and someone that, you know, coming off the weekend, people are like, well, I would definitely rather have him than Rudy Gobert. And that's a crazy thing to say yeah. for someone who just got his third defensive player of the year award. So, Aiton has been a revelation. Booker has been a revelation. You know, Booker struggled tonight, and then Aiton and Payne carried them. But Booker in game one was, you know, honestly Kobe level, right? Like, that was the kind yeah. of performance you saw from, like, a Kobe or Kawhi. And and it's been fun to watch this team. Um, it I always leave a Phoenix Suns game feeling like they're a good, not great team. But yeah. then they just keep winning. And so at some point you say, okay – this is, uh, yeah. you know, this is the way that the season might go, where it is a good, not great team, you know, holding the title at the yeah. end of the year. I mean, we always have to put that in perspective that they they beat an AD and LeBron, AD-less hobbled LeBron team. They beat the Nuggets without Jamal Murray, and then they are beating a Clippers team without Kawhi. Now, there's no reason to put an asterisk on it, but I just think you have to keep that in the context of how we view this postseason because it's it's a lot of guys to be missing. Um, but how many I mean, years do we yeah. do that? Right. Like that could happen. You could figure out a way to do that almost every season. Other no, than every like the 17 warriors and the one Lakers, the rest are probably asterisks that you could. Yeah. Find. But when every series is missing a, uh, an all-star all, all NBA guy, like that's when it starts accumulating like AD Kawhi. I mean, these aren't just top like 20 guys. These are top five guys in the NBA. Yeah, no, it's definitely true. Um, but it's been fun to watch, you know, because to me, like we talked about this last week where we where we just like apply extreme recency bias to, to everything that we do. Um, so Devin Booker, I bet you at the end of the, at the start of the next season, you're not going to see any top, you know, NBA player list without him in the top 15 approaching the top 10. Right. 
Yep. Uh, DeAndre Aiden, he's going to be in the top 25 to 30 on some of these things. Chris Paul is going to be top 20. And suddenly the Suns, who, like like you said, were a team that were picked to finish, what, middle of the Western Conference this year, are going to have three top 30 players all of a sudden. Um, it doesn't mean that they aren't that level. It is fun to see them play at that level. Um, and this is where you really start to think about how a guy kind of creates consistency in his stardom, right? Does he rise to the mm-hmm. occasion because the you know the lights are bright and he's you know coming through, uh, or is this who he is year after year? And with Booker, we've seen the stats and production be at this level. We're starting to see him understand the floor a little bit more than he used to. Understand when to pass out of the double team, when to make the right play, when to take the shot. His clutch gene has always been there. He's trying a little bit harder on defense. Aiton's the guy I'm interested in because he really projected as a, a really solid, good role player. Now with the with the higher usage in some of these games, you're starting to see him put up you know all star type numbers. Uh, you know he had 24 and 12 tonight. Um, I think he really took advantage of that small ball lineup for the Clippers, and that was the difference ultimately. Yeah, Booker. I, it, if there's one thing that's been constant in the last 30, 40, 50 years of the NBA, it's that that mid range shooting guard is so valuable in the playoffs. Like as much as the game has changed, as much as three-point shooting has become the primary kind of mechanism for scoring, as much as big men have evolved, would you rather have Booker taking a shot at the end of a game or Giannis? And I think that, like you said, like Booker has always had the stats, but now when you see that he can actually carry that load of, you need him to create your own shot, you need him to just get something off, and he has a good chance of getting it in. Yep. Um, that is such a crucial skill to have on a team if you want to contend. And, and I still have a problem with Milwaukee, and we'll get to Milwaukee because as good as Giannis was, you know, down the stretch, you get a little tightened up, like the defense tightens up, and it's it's hard for him to get those buckets. And Booker, Trey Young's the same way. Trey Young struggled that entire game, right? Five for 23 or whatever he was. Mm-hmm. But he hits that big three at the end, and that that's always there. That's always on the table, and I think that's what makes these guys special. Yeah, I mean, defenses can adapt to a lot of things over the course of a series, right? Like when you give a coach film for two, three, four, five, six, seven games, they can figure it all out. The one thing that you really can't ever figure out is a great isolation player because the most you can do with him is send a double, right, which is going to create open shooting, or you try to guard him one-on-one with your best perimeter defender and – Great offense beats great defense, right? And so the Clippers tried it with Pat Bev tonight. I was questioning why he, he played so much. Like I thought – I like Terrence Mann, for example, was a star of um, game six against Utah. He comes in, he plays 19 minutes, he's three of five. Like I thought he could have played more, right? I didn't need to see um, – I didn't need to see th- 26 minutes from Beverly. But they went with him as their stopper. And Booker tonight, he actually did well on Booker. But on – Sunday, he got toasted. And so it's kind of just like, if you can stop your guy, uh, you know, this is what makes Kawhi such a great player because one-on-one, you're not taking too many players over him, right? That list is probably what Kawhi, Booker, KD, Kyrie, you know, Kyrie, but Kyrie struggles in the playoffs in a way that those other three guys don't sometimes. But, but shot creation at the end of a game, is not what we're talking about? It is, but I think because of his size, I feel like he can get taken out when in the half court set a little bit more than those yep. other three dudes who can shoot over guys. Um, and maybe Curry you'd put in there, but he's not quite the I think it's much easier to take are. out Curry. I mean, I don't know about much easier, but but yeah. Um, speaking of three-pointers, 
one of the things that I think is we've talked about a couple times, but the Clippers for all of their kind of deficiencies with this current roster, you know, they don't have traditional bigs who can keep up with the DeAndre ends of the world, right? Like Zubac was getting punked today. They don't have two of their five starters, right? Kawhi Leonard and Serge Ibaka. They shoot the three pointer so well and so much that it keeps them in any game. Like, I think people don't quite understand. Like, this team shot the three 41%, you know, for the year, right? They have like six or seven guys above 40% too, right? That's- exactly. To give you some context about that, the 2017 to 2019 Warriors, like the three years it was KD, Steph, and Clay, they shot 39% across those three years. So you're talking about a team that is better than the greatest shooting team potentially of all time. And it's not stars that are shooting, right? Luke Kennard is 45%. Marcus Morris is 43%. Like, Pat Bev is out here jacking threes. Reggie Jackson looks like the second coming all of a sudden. And it is really bizarre to watch this Clippers team who's built with a bunch of players that have been cast away by other franchises. And for them to stay this competitive, I mean, I think they're you know they're going to kick themselves for, for letting this get away. But they can stay with anyone as long as they keep that up. And that's what we saw exactly. I mean, like you said in the Jazz series, um, and but I still think the the their bread and butter is that Paul George and Kawhi are still elite mid range mm-hmm. and just all around scorers. So the the rest of the team can always keep you in the game, but what's going to keep them in at the end of the game is that they have those two guys to finish things off. And so I mean, look, the Clippers we forget last because they flamed out so spectacularly last year. Uh, we thought that team. I think they might have been the leading contender to win the NBA Finals, even over the Lakers. And even this season, during the middle of the season, there was a point in which they were absolutely clicking. But people were hesitant to give them credit because we saw what happened in the postseason last year. It's like, wait till we see in the postseason. This team is talented enough. And the shooting is good enough that they they should absolutely be in the series. Um, And so uh, I just don't think they've been given enough credit. Game three is a must win, but the question is really just like if Paul's going to play, how much more difficult does it make your make your um, you know what you have to deal with? Yep. Do you think you know? It's funny because we have this juxtaposition of all these like aging but still highly productive stars, the LeBrons, Durants, Currys of the world. None of them are involved, right? Then you have this young crop of guys who are balling, like the Bookers, Giannis. Trey's, um, all those guys, right? I, I'm counting Giannis in that because he's still kind of like the under 26 group. A lot of talk about, you know, oh, there's not really like top level star power and all of this and that. And therefore, like, this isn't like the same kind of playoffs. I think hardcore fans have enjoyed it tremendously, right? Just in terms of like what it's brought on a night to night basis. So, my question is, do you think that the DeAndre Ayton lob tonight? will be remembered amongst kind of like the pantheon of the all-time great buzzer beaters. Like the thing that that was most commonly brought up tonight was like the Derek Fisher .4 second shot, which was also in the conference finals, Spurs-Lakers. Do you think it's going to be held in that regard? And if not, is it just because of the lack of the name or is it that the Suns have to go on to win the title for it to really count that same way? It's a great question because I was thinking about it the same way. When I thought in the moment, it seemed like one of the craziest shots that should be on paper, one that we remember forever. But I don't think it'll be as iconic, even if the Suns win the title, just because that was the Lakers. That was the Kobe Shaq Lakers. That was over the Spurs, the Tim Duncan Spurs. These are two juggernauts going after each other. Yeah. 
Suns Clippers doesn't have the same kind of juice to it. And I think, and, and part of it is also just the way the end of that game played out left such a bad taste in everyone's mouth that it's attracted from that final shot because you had to have the whole review process. It wasn't just the Suns running off the court, right? All that kind of matters in a memory. And I, I think it was just kind of a weird, really weird end to a game. So I think it should, man. Absolutely should, but I don't think it will. I Yeah, I wonder if it's... Because I was even thinking, it doesn't have to be a team winning the series. Like LeBron shot over the Magic, even though they ended up losing 4-1 in 09, is still something I remember. But that's LeBron. But right? that's so LeBron, it creates yeah. a different. It creates sort of a different aura. I, I wonder, like, I hate to say this because the intensity was there tonight. The shot making was there. Like, it was an amazing game. I couldn't help but feel like it was a regular season game in a way, too, because, like, you had no Kawhi, you had no CP. You're like, okay, there's, like, load management going on. You know, it was like – it almost felt like that. Um, I know they're obviously not playing for reasons much beyond that, but not having the top guys, even from the teams that are in the tournament, I feel takes away a little bit of the shine. But at the same time, I really think, again, we're going to retroactively apply – uh, what that means if Phoenix goes on and wins a title or if the Clippers go on and win the title, we're going to talk about how they overcame you know, such incredible odds yet again. And we'll be able to shape the narrative based on what happens um, right now, because, you know, Aiton's never made the all-star team and Booker's yep. always like a replacement all-star. And like Paul George is like the most maligned superstar in the league. Like there's versions of these guys that we're remembering that will change if they get to the top of the mountain. So here's what makes teams memorable. Because even young teams can be memorable. OKC, memorable team. Yeah, those uh, guys have to become superstars. Jordan. Jordan in his in the, the late 80s, right? Some memorable teams. But the difference is you have to go up against Goliath. Um, and so OKC, the reason OKC was remembered so well too is because they beat some really good teams on their way to the finals. They didn't win it all, but they beat some really good teams. I think that the problem with the Suns right now is as good as they've been, it doesn't feel like the Western Conference Finals. I had the same thing watching it. It felt like a playoff game, but it didn't feel like this is the best versus the best. It felt like a hobbled Clippers team. The Suns were hobbled as well. Um, and so that's not to take anything away from the Suns, but I just don't think that a lot of these young teams, you need to beat, like if they had beaten the a healthy Lakers team uh, where there's no excuses, or a healthy Nuggets team, we'd think about them a little bit differently. But like you said, man, in a couple of years, we'll look back at this and think of it as, oh, wow, this is the start of maybe an era. But right now, you, you, it's hard to feel that in the moment unless they like really take down a Goliath. Last year's Miami team that made the finals definitely felt like a little bit of like bubble fortune kind of lining up. The Lakers were the number one seed all year. Them winning the title and making the finals was, you know, it felt less fake to I don't want to say fake because that's you know that doesn't give the heat credit it felt less um you know wonky uh just kidding um but uh I think that there's a world in which both finalists this year have that same feel to them yeah uh where you're just like how did this happen exactly and every now and then you'll see it with one team versus the other in the finals but usually like the best team wins you know but this one like let's say if it's Phoenix Phoenix Atlanta would be really crazy, but let's just say it's Phoenix Milwaukee, right? Just because Milwaukee's yeah. favored, and the Bucks win. Um, all that we, like you said, we're, if we're going by the process and everything we analyzed about the Bucks and what they showed us last three years, 
it's a team that you don't think should have been there. And it's a team that I still will say would not have been there if Kyrie and Harden were playing 100%, right? Again, you got to play the games in front of you. And so I'm not trying to like discount anything, but it would be interesting if both participants, you kind of were just like a little lukewarm on uh, from like that historical context standpoint. So this brings up a great point because uh, a lot of the discourse lately has been that what is good for the league? Is it having good teams, like big market teams or having small market teams? And then there are a lot of people pushing back on, see, the NBA doesn't need big market teams. They don't need, you know, like these teams are just fine. Like it's, it's such an overblown thing. And I agree. I don't think the big market, small market thing matters enough, but I think you do need teams that have been there, done that. And if they go down, it feels monumental. And a team that took them down, it feels like they've really accomplished something. The problem with having four teams that really haven't done anything for several years or some of them are really fresh is you don't get that sense of accomplishment or like they've really overcome anything. And it's not their mm-hmm. fault, but I just think that's what makes it, at least for the um, a casual fan or for people who just look like NBA history like us, it's harder. Like when five, 10 years from now, I guarantee you we won't think about this year as fondly, even though right now it's actually pretty entertaining. Um, well, we like the arc, right? Yeah. We like the arc. I mean, if the Bucks had beaten the full strength Nets, it would have had a very different weight to it, right? Yeah. Or vice versa with some of these other teams, but that's just not how it played out. Which I, it's good for the league in the long run because I think you need fresh blood, you need other stars to. So now that the Suns, if they win the title next year, they're going to be the team to take down, right? And you, you kind of re- replace those older teams with new blood. But um, I do think that it's missing that oomph this season just because of. We don't have any really big juggernauts left anymore. See, as a true NBA fan, though, I'm I'm kind of disappointed that you're saying this only because the product has been really good from like a, if you know the league and the way we know it, there is a lot of interesting storylines, right? There's like Trey Young, who's been absolutely demolished just three years into the league for being like this guy who'll never be good in his whole life. For him to do this in his first postseason appearance. You have Devin Booker, again, another good stats, bad team guy forever and ever. Finally gets a competent team around him, and suddenly he's in the Western Conference Finals putting up a 40-point triple-double, right? You have Giannis breaking through when everyone said he couldn't, right? You have Paul George. The Clippers are in their first ever Conference Finals in franchise history. Like, I think for people who follow the league as closely as we do, there are a lot of fun storylines. Like, sure, does it not necessarily measure up to like the Titanic battle of, you know, the 2013-14, like Spurs uh, Spurs heat going at it, right? Maybe not. But that doesn't mean that it's not a valid title. It doesn't mean that it's not a enjoyable watch. Um, ratings right now uh, through the conference semifinals, so it doesn't include first two games of the Western Conference Finals, they're up 39% uh, across the three networks compared to the bubble. Now, we know the bubble and we know most pandemic television sports-wise was down way, way big. A lot of it because it came into clash with the NFL. So I don't think comparing to 2020 is necessarily relevant. I would like to see what those numbers look like compared to 2019. But still a good sign for the league that they're able to get the eyeballs back. Um, and I think it kind of shows that maybe we aren't as star-driven, but maybe we need different types of things to keep us engaged. So if you look historically, in the, you know, in the last 15, 20 years, the, the, the highest rated finals were really the Cavs Warriors, right? Over and over mm-hmm. again, or LeBron Warriors. Like, I think, what did they play? Like five straight years, four straight years? Yep. Um, those were the highest rated because people just like to see that battle. 
But to your point, let's say the Thunder stay together after they lose to the Heat and they make another run the next year. They don't trade hard and they make another run. Small market or not, I think that that you know that team is going to do numbers. Um, and so I think it really varies. It's not one formula that's going to bring eyeballs to the screen. What we're seeing this year is that at least is a nice rebound from you know what happened last year in the bubble, which was I think really worrisome to the league. Yeah, yeah no, no hey, look, I love the storylines. I love there are redemption arcs. Um, I'm just saying in the grand scheme of things, right? Like if you go back the last 15 years, even the 2011 Mavs, right? They were not a juggernaut per se, but they had the Dirk redemption arc. You obviously have the Heat, Spurs. You have Warriors, Cavs. But then you go back to the Lakers, Celtics. Um, that had a lot of storylines. Or even Celt- uh, Lakers magic with Kobe trying to win his first one without Shaq. And then you go back, right? Like every year there's some kind of big, really big storyline. I think this year we've got a lot of diverse storylines and they're all pretty good. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy them. Um, but I just think we'll remember this year a little bit differently. That's that's my only point. And, and there's yep. no, no knock to anyone who wins. It's deserved. It's just we'll remember this year a little bit differently. All right, so let's switch to the Eastern Conference. I think we'll keep our eye on the West. Like we said, Suns up 2-0. A, a win on Thursday is definitely going to be a kill shot. We'll see if CP plays. Uh, there's no indication that Kawhi is coming back, but, you know, he might. He keeps his medicals very closely guarded, and he is an upcoming free agent, so who knows what his motivations are right now. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, moving to the East, I think before we jump into Bucks. Hawks, we kind of have to talk about the two series that led us here because they were both fascinating in their own right. Which one do you want to go with first? Hawks, Sixers, or um, Bucks, Nets? Let's go, uh, let's go Hawks, Sixers. Okay, so I'm at a point where I almost feel bad because it's not like I was new to pile on to Ben Simmons. I didn't do it last week for the first time, but there's a lot of people who have been doing it over the course of his career. What we saw after Game 7 was one of the most one-sided takedowns of a single player that I've ever seen in my whole life. And I'm not using hyperbole. I did not see a single person provide even one iota of positivity about what he did, not only on Sunday night, but in the series. Every single stat that came out was like more gruesome than the previous one. Um, We can go through a few of these. I mean, he shot three total shots in the fourth quarter across seven games, including zero in the last four games, three of which they lost. He was, he shot 95 shots in the playoffs uh, overall, 94 of which were in the paint. The one that wasn't was a uh, runner three at the end of the buzzer. He, I don't think, um, I think he was 10th on the team in field goal attempts in the fourth quarter. And as much as he did a pretty good job on Trey defensively, it, I mean, I don't know, dude. Like, they just went through Markel Fultz having kind of mental issues, but on a much lower stage, like regular season, forgetting how to shoot. This was a whole different animal altogether for a guy who, at 24, is already a three-time uh, All-Star, two-time All-Defense, Defensive Player of the Year runner-up, and All-NBA. So his resume reads like a future hall of famer. And so suddenly now you're at this really bizarre crossroads that maybe a lot of us saw coming. Well, I mean, look, it, people have seen it coming for the last couple of years, but the difference is his defensive game was improving. And there was some hope that on offense, he'd eventually get it together. I mean, we dude, when we started this podcast, remember one of the first episodes when um, I think they had those videos of him shooting threes in practice That's and we right, had an over yeah. under 
and we set the over under at like 41. And we um, both were like jumping at the over. We're like, that's yeah. one every two games, easy money. And he's practicing that. We always knew his flaws, but there was just this inherent assumption built in that he's going to get a li- marginally better. Forget about he becomes a good jump shooter. He's going to get marginally better. And to get marginally worse every year to, and to culminate in a, in a game in which you're scared, just scared, you can see it on his face, to shoot, to shoot free throws. Um, yep. And it's just – and it's crazy because even though this decline has been happening, just six months ago, he was talked about as a centerpiece of a Harden trade. And it seemed like a logical trade, um, right, for Philly to get Harden, obviously. But then for Houston to get Simmons, it seemed like that's a good centerpiece maybe you can build around. And that was just six months ago. So uh, I, I do feel bad for a man because the, the jokes are – this has produced a lot of good jokes. I don't remember this many good jokes being produced since LeBron someone, James. Yeah, uh, someone just tweeted – let me just jump in there. Someone just yeah. tweeted that uh, DeAndre Ayton, that alley-oop, Right to win the game just now, Ben Simmons would have double alley ooped like an NBA jam. <laughs> Dude, like the, the memes were nonstop, and it, it just reminded me of LeBron the fourth quarter when he lost to the Mavs, and the you know the picture uh, what, of Berea like guarding him right in the post and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, or something about LeBron. If you give him a dollar, he won't give you change back because he doesn't have a fourth quarter or something weird. There were these weird like. Um, so, anyways, we've gotten to that point with Ben Simmons and. It got so bad that obviously right after the game, Doc Rivers and Embiid kind of call him out and Doc Rivers has to backtrack the next day saying, oh no, you know, he's just got to work on his shooting. He'll be fine. It tells you how, how just insanely frustrated they were that they had, they went that route. They threw him under the bus. All season, they've been defending him, doing whatever. And I was like, oh my God, this guy had a wide open dunk and dropped the ball off to Matisse freaking Tybal. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But, but here's the good thing for Philly, right? Like the way I look at the series is you've identified your clear problem. And it's a big problem because your second best player that you've built around, your star, is Ben Simmons. But I think now they have a come to Jesus moment in which they ha- they can stop banking on it happening. And you have to hope he has enough trade value. I don't know if he does. For a team to take a chance on him. Like Kings fans, I, I would love to take a chance on him. Why not? Like, But what would you give up? You're not giving up Fox. You're not giving up Halliburton. Those buddy, are your two best assets. Bagley. Um, Shit, man, that's the deal we talked about for someone else that was like much lower than Simmons on trade. Maybe value you throw in the ninth pick of this year. Like that's an interesting th- trade with that ninth pick. But here's your here's the thing: a lot of people are trying to do this positive spin zone for the Sixers, and Bead's already twenty seven, and every year he adds more and more miles to his body. He was playing through the playoffs with a torn meniscus. Suddenly, like I said last week, we're going to count on him for ten more years of this production. Or is it going to be more like five? So your window is now and it's closing. And we didn't even get to the fact that outside of Ben Simmons, you got a Tobias Harris problem. Another player on a max deal who can't seem to buy a bucket down the stretch when it matters. So outside of Embiid, what championship level players do they have? Seth Curry as the fourth option, who's masquerading as the second for them. Like Danny Green as a fifth or sixth option. You can fill out the middle and back of your bench, but to your to your point about the trade value, like for example, after that Harden trade blew up, the Wizards were like, "Is Beal the guy that they would put in that package?" Yep, similar package, right? Where they would give us more than we're giving them. We'd give them Beal. They'd give us you know Simmons, Maxi, and a couple picks, whatever. 
I'm having arguments with Wizards fans right now about whether they would trade Russ for him. <laughs> 33-year-old Russ, who's got two years on his contract at $91 million, and the only reason you wouldn't take it is because the albatross of Simmons, four years, $146 million. Yeah. And you could argue Wizards fans being delusional, blah, blah, blah. Fine. But, like, who? what other franchises, like, lining up for this? Given not only his contract, not only the, like, diminishing production, but also how difficult of a fit he is naturally. Where you can't play him on any team. Like, they talked about, oh, what about going to, you know, Charlotte for Gordon Hayward? Kind of reset Charlotte's timeline a little bit. But how could he play with LaMelo Ball? He can't. He's going to have to change his position. Like, he, you know, there's a lot of talk about him playing a, more of the five, four or five. But he has no low post. I, I just don't know that he's like this beast in the low post. Is he going to be just like a rim runner? I guess so. Takes the I, playmaking element out of his game kind of. Other than if it's like a Draymond pick and roll after the double on Steph and then you get to like slice and dice. But, you know, Draymond's built a little differently in terms of his physicality and his ability to play center. I don't know that Simmons can play. And Dray- Draymond's as, a dog. Like that's just, exactly. it's simply he's, that. Like, he's despite his limitations, he's not scared. And yeah. That like Simmons with just a better attitude, like let's say he had all his flaws, Simmons with just a little bit more aggressiveness and a better attitude, he would have dunked that ball at the end of a game, and I think that's the the craziest thing is because, and this was something that was called out in the draft process. They they did have teams had concerns about his lackadaisical attitude, about his tendency to kind of turn on and turn off, but then people dismissed it as LSU. It's not really a program really competing. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's waiting to go to the NBA. But that's all kind of transpiring here. And the free throws have gotten like worse, like so bad that um it was the worst free throw performance I think ever in a playoff series with the you know number of attempts that he had. He shot thirty three percent from the line in that series. Thirty four percent. So I uh but like the reason it's not easy for the Sixers to solve this problem. I don't think they're in a good position. I think but they have a clear problem. And I think you have to figure out how to move Simmons. I think the rest of that roster, Tobias, yeah, you kind of saddled with him. And Tobias will be, he's hes a Rudy Gay. He's a glorified Rudy Gay, or not even glorified. He's just Rudy Gay. And well, he's fine as a third option if yeah. you can make the second one someone who isn't Ben Simmons. Yeah. I don't know what and, they can do. And I don't know how you're going to get that guy. Even sure. if you go to Portland, you say, hey, CJ McCollum, you know, we lost our leverage before we could have asked for much more than him. Now this is what it is. Let's just do it straight up. Even if they say yes, which, you know, I think could be a good deal for them. They need to blow it up. Is CJ McCollum suddenly a trusted second scorer, especially your primary perimeter scorer in the playoffs? Like we've seen up and down performances from him too. Um, and under the bright lights in Philadelphia, maybe those start to, you know, the critical eyes turn a little bit more than they do in Portland where he can get away with some of that. I don't know that CJ McCollum solves their problem. Dude, they're, they're talking about like <laughs> Ben Simmons and salary to, to Houston for John Wall and Derek Gordon. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, that's not going to work. At least Jawal will shoot, man. He won't make it, but he'll shoot. Maybe that's <laughs> all they need. Somebody who will fucking just put the ball up. Um, I don't know. This is very, very weird. Uh, the timing, actually, I, I disagree. I don't think the timing could be worse. Sure, you know, but Embiid's got the super oh, max the, coming Obviously, up. the timing is the worst because his value is rock bottom. But uh, a year ago, six months ago, you would have fetched a lot more. Um. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they are screwed. <laughs> so 
All right, so let's let's talk Atlanta because I think as much as so the, the crazy thing is, no matter what, Bill. I mean, sorry, Ben Simmons has not drastically changed as a player in this past series. Did he go into the mental tank? Yes, but these are his limitations, and they have been for three years, right? Despite that, Philadelphia injuries, not whatever. When they have Joel Embiid and they have home court, they almost never lose. Even when they were up and down, even when they finished sixth last year, go look at their home record versus away, right? Yep. So for them to lose game five and game seven at home with everything else going on, I was dumbfounded. And the primary reason they did, sure, they shot themselves in the foot, especially game five, which I think we recorded right after I was shell-shocked, right? If you remember, I couldn't even believe what I just watched. Um, you got to give it to Atlanta because they don't go away. They got dudes who don't give a shit. There's no one who's afraid of the moment. You know, Bogey, we've talked about all the international experience he has. He was buried in Sacramento, and now he's finally getting a taste of the playoffs. Trey was built for this moment, right? He was a villain in New York. He did it again in Philadelphia. And I think everyone else kind of falls in line with that persona. And Nate McMillan's the coach who's been there a lot of times. And he hasn't had a ton of playoff success in his career, but both as a player with like the you know Seattle Supersonics, as a coach with the Pacers and with the Blazers and otherwise, like he's been in a lot of these situations. I just think when you looked at, you know, when they were both staring at each other, Philly was the scared team and Atlanta wasn't. And that's amazing to see as a one seed versus a five. You got to give it to Trey, man. That guy is fearless. And even today, like I think when the NBA, there was this report that came out, the NBA is going to start looking at some of those fouls, mm-hmm. um, specifically shooters kind of jumping into defenders, something that Trey is known for. Yeah, he commented on that and was just like laughing about it and like, all right, let's bring it, right? Like, yeah, go ahead and change it. And his attitude, like as much as I've hated him and ragged on him, dude, he is, and that team carries that attitude. That team kind of feeds off of that, and they've got some guys who like Galnari's a vet, like you said, Bogey's got the experience, um, and so they've. You have to give them their props, and and I think part of it is also blame on Doc Rivers because it's not a coincidence that Doc Rivers has blown so many leads has lost so many Game 7s. Like, that can't be a coincidence, especially when his teams have been this talented. And so, I, it's... Yeah, I can't believe we got through the Sixers segment and forgot to mention Doc. What a, yeah. what a total travesty. And so, as much credit has to go to Atlanta, I think the part of the thing that we need to talk more about on the Philly side is just this problem with Doc Rivers. And now you see the, the juxtaposition against the Clippers playing harder, not giving up, not collapsing under Ty Lue. This all can't be a coincidence, right? Like, no, it's not. I mean, he's got the worst record in Game 7s. I think he's lost uh, more leads, uh, more series where he's had a lead than any coach. Um, and like you said, how many of those series has he had the most ta- more talented team? Most of them. A lot of them. No. Some of those Boston teams, you know, they lost to the Lakers, lost to others. The Clippers, Clippers with CP and Blake. The Clippers with Kawhi and PG. And now this version. And so... He won a title, and so that obviously buys you a good amount of runway uh, and a good amount of credibility. When are we running out of, of whatever that like store of credibility is? Does it ever run out? I don't know, because his teams are always good in the regular season, too, so it's not... Yeah, it's... and you look in Dallas, right? Like, Rick Carlisle won a title 10 years ago and hasn't won a playoff series since. And it ran out. And, you know, you could argue he hasn't given given the most talented teams um, since then. They didn't do a good job building around Dirk, and they haven't so far building around Luka. So he gets a little bit more of a pass, but it already ended, like, to your point. Um, and, and that ran its course. And so 
I don't know. I think people, I think the book is out on doc though. Um, but anyway, back to Atlanta, go ahead. Yeah. So Atlanta, I think, um, now what they can do against Milwaukee. I, I don't know if you give them much of a shot. Once again, I'm going to pick Milwaukee and I could be shocked, but in my mind, I think Milwaukee's going to smash them. So I don't know what to say. Cause then we're going to come back and the Hawks are going to be up three, one. Yeah, exactly. The problem is Atlanta still has some major decisions to make. Now, what I mean by that is uh, Gallinari is not a long-term piece. Bogey's already in his prime. He's not a young guy. He's seen as more of a young guy, but he's 28. Yeah. Um, and you have Collins, who is... Restricted you know, free agent. It looked like the, the Hawks earlier in the year, okay, this is not working out. They're not going to pay him. Now you have a decision on your hands, especially how well he's played of late. Mm-hmm. Um, and you got a lot of guys that I, it, I don't know. It's a weird thing, right? They've overachieved this year, but I'm not sure if this is the current roster you can run back for a couple of years and still be contending. Like, I think they're still going to make some moves and, and you have to be happy with the fact that Trey Young is this good. And, you know, you've got some young pieces and, and Herder and DeAndre Hunter, but I don't think they like, this was a team that the roster still looks a little weird to me. So it's not like this is a core group of guys that's going to be there for the next four or five years. Yeah, well, the question is really like they drafted Okongwu last year, right, to kind of be the eventual Collins replacement. Collins ended up playing a lot better, I think. He had worse numbers, but they just had more talent on the team, and he would bought into the system, especially defensively. I thought he worked like hell on the glass. Uh, I think he had 16 rebounds in Game 7. Um We'll see if they're going to be able to pay him because Trey's super max is going to be, or his max extension will be offered and signed this summer as well. So you you start to get to a point where there's just too many players. And like you mentioned, they also have DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish, two top 10 players who aren't even playing right now in the playoffs, which is kind of amazing. To me, I think taking absolutely nothing away from this team because they're so much fun to watch and they're so talented, it does feel a little Miami-ish from last year where they had a couple fortuitous bounces, you know, they almost played Milwaukee round one, right? If Miami hadn't lost a game or two at the end there, they would have been in the four five versus the Knicks and you would have seen Hawks bucks. And maybe this is over before it even got started. Um, so I don't know what the long-term future is, but who cares, right? Like you got to enjoy it in the moment. This team has gone as far as any Hawks team in, fucking forever maybe in their whole franchise history since they moved to atlanta so you know to me it's like i'm not going to count them out i don't expect them to win but i hadn't expected them to win last series either and you know looking ahead to that series the reason why i think they do match up a little worse versus milwaukee than they do versus philly is philly's defenders can't make trey pay on the defensive end for atlanta all of the Bucks defenders are their best players. They're all the two-way studs that they have that play most of their minutes, right? Like, you look at the minute dis- distribution in that net series is like six and a half guys that they played. Um, and so those are the guys, Drew, Middleton, Giannis, Tucker, even Forbes can get after a little bit. Like, those are the dudes who are going to play, but they're also the guys who can score. And so where are you going to hide Trey, and how are you going to um, – let him rest on that other end. I don't know that they can do it as easily as they did in Philly when he could guard a tie bowl or he could guard like a, you know, Forcon, Cork Maz or whoever. Yeah. It, it's going to be really difficult for them, but, but back to Atlanta, I think 
Yeah, they, they got to live in the moment, but you also have Trey. And Trey is, it's not the 2016 Hawks that went 61 21 and, yeah, you know, you with a, a bunch of. Star. Yeah, you've got Joe Johnson, all these, or no, no, that was not the year. No, that was the year, Joe Johnson. Yeah, was, no, no, no. It wasn't no, Johnson. No, no, it wasn't. Mills, Mills, Horford, Sapp, Mills Horford, Horford, yeah. Horford. Yeah, and like, but even the Joe Johnson years, there's a bunch of pretty good players. I think now, you as an Atlanta fan, you could be confident that Trey is the guy, like the guy to be your superstar. And there were questions like a year ago, two years ago. Like we had those questions. Everyone in the NBA blogosphere had those questions about Trey. And I think whenever you can confirm a guy is a superstar, you'll figure the rest out. I think Kings fans went through that this year with De'Aaron Fox, where sure, he hasn't won any games, but you take a leap that makes you confident that this is a guy that can be a piece moving forward. And so Atlanta should be happy about that. And now it's all gravy, whatever happens from here on out. Yeah, I mean, look, even if they never have a season again like this in the Trey era, I, well, I hope that's not true because he's so young. But I think about like Wall and Beal were in game seven of the Eastern Conference semifinals in a game they should have won, right, versus Isaiah Thomas uh, Celtics. They lost. They thought they were just going to retool and come back, and the team got blown up like a couple years later. And they haven't sniffed round two even no, since then. True. Things change. Uh, you know, injuries happen, things like that. But at the same time, Beal is still an All NBA level player, and that franchise is completely lost. So, and, and I would tell you, Wizards fans are very unhappy just seeing how well Atlanta was built around Troy in a way that we never really gave Wall or Beal the chance to, you know, to have. But he's also playing better than I think either of them have at that stage. So it goes both ways. Yeah. Um. Okay. Bucks Nets. I picked the Bucks at the start of the series uh, for the record. I switched maybe 87 times between then. But Kush, who is in town, shout out to Kush, visiting from Thailand. We hung out all week. He's coming to see you next. Yep. He was adamant that you and I both, both, mostly you, take a lot of shit for the Bucks ending up victorious and advancing past Brooklyn. So what do you got to say in response? Kudos to the Bucks. They made it happen. They did it on the road. Giannis had some big moments, but come on, man! I, like, I like, I was still not impressed by the Bucks watching that series. <laughs> this is a team with Harden played better towards the end, but Harden was still not Harden. No Kyrie, and Joe Harris reverted to who Joe Harris has been his whole career. Not that, not the fourth option of this great team. Just a, a good shooter that couldn't make shots. And so I don't understand what the I think Giannis deserves credit because one thing I will give the Bucks a lot of credit for in that game seven, there were so many points in which Brooklyn would go up five, seven, the crowd roaring, and then Giannis slowed the tide down, made a big play. Um, we all know Drew didn't shoot well. Uh, I don't think Middleton shot that well either, right? So Middleton was very up and down. Drew up was and down. pretty much bad offensively the whole series. But Middleton had a couple nice games. And at the end... Yeah, game seven, he did not shoot. Yeah, and in the end, Holiday had a big shot and fine. But like Giannis was pacing them. And that was a game that I was just waiting for it to get out of hand. And they kept coming back, kept coming back. But at the end of the day, the fourth quarter, they still had a lot of the same issues they had in the past. Brooklyn was gassed. And we you mentioned it. We're talking about KD's foot being a couple of inches behind the three-point line. What's the narrative around Milwaukee? Bud fired. Maybe they try to make some roster changes, although they're you know they're kind of strapped. The narrative is completely different. So I'm not going to turn around, sit here just because they won that game, and say that this team, I owe an apology. 
Now, if they win the finals, we can we'll see. If they win it in dominant fashion, we'll see. But there's you're gonna criticize Giannis for the way he's like holding up the trophy at the at the end of the year. Yeah. You're gonna be like, oh, that's not the right form. No, I I just don't like. I don't know if they, this version of Giannis is still gonna be the version that is gonna win you championships in this any is what other we season. Talked about though, right? This is what makes it tough. The man was averaging like a 33 and 12 on like 57 percent shooting during that series. Overall, the course of the playoffs, I think he's 30 and 10 or 30 and 11 or something. So what more can the man do from that standpoint? Like the numbers that he's putting up and the efficiency are completely eye popping. It's like one glaring weakness, which is late game shot creation. But he does everything else for you on both ends. It's not all on Giannis. It's on Bud, too. But that team needs to make my point is this team with Bud and that exact same roster. You can't go in with this false perspective that. This is a winning combination. Either fire the coach and get someone who utilizes Giannis differently. I still don't think Giannis, whether it's his fault or the coach's fault, is utilized in the best way. I still think him at the top of the key, trying to barrel his way to the rim, uh, is not a formula for success in a tight game. And this game, these games would have been a lot harder if they had Harden or Kyrie. And yeah, so like I don't think that formula is going to work. That's what I'm saying. Like and. They need to make some tweaks, whether it's coaching, whether Giannis adapts his play style. He's he's amazing, but him just in this version is not going to continue to dominate. Well, look, I'm with you in that I don't think Brooklyn healthy has a really a tough series the entire playoffs. But this is kind of the the, the sort of the problem with putting Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant on one team. Like I won't include James Harden there because Harden's been the most durable player in the NBA over the last 10 years, including LeBron. When you just think about like games play, LeBron really had that groin injury and then the ankle injury this year. Harden basically had nothing until the hamstring. So it's unfortunate that he got hurt, but Kyrie is a guy who has not been durable, right? And Durant's a guy who's coming off an Achilles. And suddenly, although he was the one that was the Iron Man, um, played 53 minutes, which is just... Yeah. <laughs> Him and Harden played 53 minutes. Like, couldn't you get them one to two minutes of rest anywhere? Or was it such that it was so close that you basically needed every single ounce of their energy? What did you think about that? Because I was like, looking at the minute distribution, I was like, this is the strangest thing I've ever seen. I, I didn't get it either. Like, you can always buy a minute. LeBron, even in his peak in some of the shittiest teams, they'd buy him a minute or two. And yeah. I, I I still think that makes a difference. And So Durant it, yeah. goes 48 in game five. 40 out of 41 in game six, and then they pull him for the last seven minutes because it was blowout, and then 40, 53 in game seven. Um, and, Nash, and the last shot he misses, he just didn't have the legs. Like, it yeah, was he didn't have the legs. Clear. And he was 0 of 6 in overtime. He shot 17 of 30 in the regulation and then 0 of 6 in overtime. Did your opinion of Durant, are you going to be, are you going to stand on that, you know, pedestal and make the hot take that this showed that he actually sucks because he wasn't able to get through the East the way LeBron did so many years ago? No, no, no. My respect for Durant shot up the roof through this series. Good. Like, I'm glad. It, no, I, like, I'm telling you, what I saw from Durant this series was just God-tier level of basketball. Yeah. And I'm not going to get that argument of, oh, he, he, he couldn't carry a team. Like, that, he did everything he humanly possibly could on both ends. He was playing great defensively. He was exerting so much energy. Um, 
and I, and I, I mean, I, I hate bringing up the Warriors again, but obviously I get it. You want the rings, you go to the Warriors, you get the rings. And ultimately, we'll look back at his legacy. He has a couple of rings. But I mentioned this on the last pod. When you watch a player that you don't like, and when they change you into a believer, into someone rooting for them, that's when you've transcended. That's when you're doing what Jordan does and LeBron does where, or Curry does, where you just drop your hands and say, this is unbelievable. I gotta walk and I just away. never like, felt like Durant that, like that. In 2016, it felt like we were getting to that level of Durant, and then he choked in the playoffs. And he was just entering his prime, and it took us so long to get to this version. And I'm glad he's here. Like I'm excited to see what he can do next year. I'm excited to what he, he can do in the Olympics. He's playing in the Olympics. Like this guy is. Oh yeah, you were also clowning the Olympics team, and suddenly they I, added KD, Harden, Kevin Love, I, I, the three superstars of the NBA. This this team is stacked, and but you know why? It's a recruiting. It's a recruiting. Uh, oh, why activity. is Kevin Love like? Did he just opt in and they hadn't sent him an invite? It was like when you get forwarded the invite and you accept, and they were like, "Oh shit, oh, shit. Is, yeah. you weren't supposed to pass us along." Like, how is Kevin Love making one of the twelve spots? Can someone explain that to me? I don't need. I don't know. Either. Every other guy is either all star, all NBA level, and then we got Kevin Love who quit on his team and consistently whined despite, you know. I, I guess he. I mean, he has a relationship with USA Basketball, so that's probably. It's, it's very political. I've heard women's USA is even more political. It's just like the Yukon love fest. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, one of the things I think is clear watching Kevin Durant is he's a better basketball player now than when he left OKC. Yeah. Uh, just in terms of all around ability. And to your point, how many God tier performances were we kind of robbed of because he just never needed to do it. Right. Yeah. He, he could have done this since 2016 over and over again. Next year, if they're all healthy, it'll go back to that kind of your turn, my turn basketball. That's just too too much star power. So, yeah, and, and I get why you do that because you want to win a ring, right? And this clearly didn't win. It can be impressive, but he didn't win. But it's the same thing with Steph, right? Like Steph this year took his game to another level, and we were like, oh shit, we didn't know he still had it in him. He always yeah, had it in Steph him. He gets just never found like, now. That's the problem. That's why they don't do it. Yeah, but, but yeah, I get why they shouldn't do it, right? But my point is, like, he could have still done it with a good team. It didn't have to be this good of a team, Harden, Kyrie, but OKC, like, he could have grown to be this player and they would have competed for championships. Um, if you just watched basketball for the joy of watching players be excellent at basketball and you just put aside the way we analyze rings culture, basketball reference, Hall of Fame probability, all this other bullshit, right? If you're just like, aesthetically, who gives me the most joy at watching this sport that is really at the crux of it? We all just enjoy watching people play basketball, right? I don't know that anyone has ever been on higher on my list than Kevin Durant. Yeah, I'd, I'd put him. I'd put him up there. If if I took away my hater glasses, I'd. Yeah, forget all of that. Forget what jersey they're wearing. Forget anything that they're doing. Just the pure joy of watching a seven-footer rain shots from everywhere in the court, have a tight handle. The hezzies, the crossovers. Yeah, just... the full bag, shooting over anyone, rim protecting, becoming a good passer. Everything that he does, because I, I would argue that for a while, since LeBron learned how to be a queen of the chessboard, I don't think he's actually that fun to watch. Um, That's he's just you. too methodical. Um, and he just, he t- picks apart the team, but he'll only have a couple really amazing plays. Everything else is just, he's too smart. 
Duran, I feel like, has eight to ten just holy shit shots per game. Yeah. And the thing I mean, is, he never is off. Yeah, the efficiency. Like Curry like, will you, have like six of nineteen games, six of twenty games. You know, Durant even when he's shooting poorly, you look up and he's like, "Oh, he's nine for twenty-one." That's like a bad. It just game doesn't for him. feel like he'll miss. Like I never feel like he's gonna miss a shot. Um, it's like it yeah. feels like it's luck when he misses a shot. Like it just right. Yeah, exactly. So I can't imagine like rooting for a team that was going against him um, in a meaningful spot. Like if you're a Bucks fan, you were freaking out. So no, hundred percent. Um, um, yeah, so I don't know. Um, uh, so Bucks move on, you know, Drew, we gave Drew a lot of props, um, for how well he played versus Miami and how much better he was than Bledsoe. And he kind of reverted to some like Eric Bledsoe type habits in round two, just really bad shots. Uh, a lot of threes, step backs. None of them had a chance of going in. I'm curious to see if he can take on the challenge of Trey while still providing them something offensively. That'll be the key for me, I think. Because I think he's going to be who who matches up with them mostly. Yeah, I think he can. I, Drew's always been somewhat of a passive offensive player. Um, not passive, but that is his biggest downfall. A downfall. Um, he'll be fine, though. This is, Dude, this is a much easier assignment. Uh, I know Kyrie went out, but like guarding Brooklyn is... And Trey is, is, is hard to, to defend, but the rest of that Atlanta team is not as bad. Um, so I, I, I think he'll be fine. I think Middleton will be fine. I, I really don't see the Bucks losing this. And I think it's going to be five, maybe six, but yeah. I mean, my first gut instinct would say Bucks in five, but I'm not going to, I'm not, that, that doesn't count. I'm not making that prediction right now. I'm not even saying anything. I'm just going to read you the box scores, uh, after game, game ones and two. Can we, can we also, we, uh, I want to go back to the West real quick. I want to talk about Rudy Gobert. Because oh yeah, yeah, this was tough. This is my point. Why do we keep giving guys defensive player of the year when none of this shit matters in the playoffs? Like this is not defense that wins you games. It wins you regular season meaningless games. This rim protection in today's day and age, if you can be, and I mean the same argument can go for Simmons to a certain extent because he was not amazing defensively. But these guys are getting targeted. Rudy Gobert was targeted, Dude. and okay. it's like what. This is why Anthony Davis is such a more valuable defender because on the switches he can extend out to the perimeter, right. still recover. Rudy is Dude, not, but as everyone slow, got cooked. But... Everyone got cooked. Okay, think about the top defensive player of the year nominees. Rudy Gobert gets put in the spin cycle by Terrence Mann over and over again. Granted, that's the worst one. Giannis he gets called out for not guarding KD, and he's like, "Oh, you're DPOI. You can't even guard their best player." Uh, ben Simmons, Trey Young goes off and gets like 30 and 10 every night. He takes the challenge a few games, does well, but then goes back to struggling, right? Bam out of bio. He gets cooked by Giannis and, and uh, Brooke Lopez in round one. So I'm not saying that Rudy's performance was in any way defensible, but we have, we have two options, right? We can either keep voting the way it is and deal with these problems because in the regular season, he's far and away the best defensive player by any measurable metric. In the playoffs, we know this more than ever. It's a different game. Why don't we just extend voting of the awards? Like Steph Curry finished third in MVP, right? Yep. His team didn't even make the playoffs, which I thought was kind of embarrassing. Um, if you had voted a playoff and regular season MVP, it would have looked a lot different. Now, is there going to be a lot of recency bias where Devin Booker's looks like second and Giannis is first? Maybe, but 
I think it would at least allow us to capture a more real takeaway from that season. And Rudy Gobert winning Defensive Player of the Year, but then not even being able to stay on the floor in a deciding game does not, you know, that does not be the seem to be the main takeaway. Yeah, and every defensive player gets. Look, you talk about Simmons and Trey Young. You talk about Giannis and Durant. Those are stars, dude. Terrence Mann is not is going after Rudy Gobert. Every Clipper is taking turns. No one's scared of him. And I think it's that today's NBA, it you're playing kind of you know four guys around the three point line. You have to be more of an Anthony Davis or Giannis to have an impact. And I know what all the advanced numbers say, but at some point, like they got to stop rewarding this guy. What he's going to win it again next year because he puts up no. a great defensive season no, and four times. This is done. Year. It's done. Because my point is, he's getting inflated. Like that Jazz team, right? He's the number two guy, and you know, I, everyone knows he's limited offensively. But it's like, oh, he's this all-time defensive center, so it makes sense. But he's holding them back. Like that can't be your number two guy. Yeah, no, you're right. It's like Simmons, right? If you're only a one-way player, they will expose you in the playoffs in a way that doesn't happen in the regular season because they're not going to play guys like 40, 41 minutes who are bad matchups for you. They're still going to play their regular rotation. If they take the L, they take the L. That's why the playoffs are so different because the small ball lineup with, with Nick Batum or Marcus Morris at the center can only log so many minutes in the regular season, if at all, because those guys are going to wear down. And they don't have the ability to take advantage of his weaknesses. In the playoffs, they do. The question is, should it matter? Like, should we hold that playoffs against him? You say yes. It's the same reason why we we talked about Giannis will never win another MVP unless he wins a title, right? Um, so, I mean, I, I, don't look, think, I, I, I don't think there's any way Gobert, Gobert wins another DPOI. I, I really don't. Yeah, because I think Especially yeah, after losing same. a 26-point lead. In games in game six, but but then like you know he's gonna play another season and every stat every advanced metric is gonna show he's clearly the leader. So how Whatever. do you argue I mean, against look, that? Because if Anthony Davis is healthy, if Giannis is healthy, if Ben Simmons is healthy and confident, there's gonna be guys in his stratosphere. Yeah, enough to push it over the edge. Like especially because the you know defense favors rim protection over perimeter deep, right? Yep. So even amongst rim protectors, there's four or five good candidates. Hell, DeAndre Ayton might be a candidate next year for all we know. Clint Capella, you know, so who knows? I think his time has passed. I don't know if he's... <laughs> Man, you're like ready to just write the swan song of the freaking Hawks before they even start the conference finals. You're already talking to me about how this team's not going to stay together for four or five years. Like, let it, let the man breathe, man. No, no, no. I didn't, I mean, look, I'm, I've been all doom and gloom on this pod. Not giving them credit, talking about how the postseason is not sucks, the same. Even though 39% ratings uptick. Yeah. I, look, I think one thing we're learning is I was wrong on, I'll admit, I was wrong on Trey. I was wrong on the Bucks to a certain extent. I'm not going to fully give that one up. I was wrong Kawhi. on the Suns. Kawhi. What about Kawhi? Just like denying his greatness. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There's a little Ewing theory. Maybe, you know, the quiet they won yeah, that Yeah, them series being last down 0 2 is definitely. If sprouted. they win this again, there's clearly Ewing theory. If they win this, the, that fully qualifies. Oh, you were down on CP and the Suns being legit? I told you I was down on the Suns. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So there's, there's a lot of Lee Crow about for sure. I was this very has been a weird down postseason. about Trey. I, I got to take a major L about Trey. Especially because I told I tweeted earlier in the playoffs that Luca's going to finish top ten all time, 
which may be true, but it's funny that num- picks number one and picks number five are now in the conference finals. That's true. I want you to go back, collect all your tweets from this postseason, and then read out the funniest ones, the ones that were very reactionary at the moment and then ended up being completely wrong. I know you've got those. I should. And I don't want to, I, I don't want the ones where you're right. I want the ones where you literally were wrong. Um, I'm actually as we as we keep going, I'm gonna I'm gonna look through it, and if I find a couple good ones before we end, I'll read them out. But <laughs> switching to a topic you do know a lot about, you are an expert on um, the NBA draft lottery was tonight, and the next crop we've talked about the top five being amongst the strongest we've seen in recent years, at least by whatever prospect measurement tools they have for all that those are worth. We got Detroit picking one Houston kept their pick, right? This was monumental. Uh, Keep their pick at number two, Cleveland three, Toronto four. Um, And who's picking five. I know. Okay. is six. Okay. She's six. Um, Anyway, we'll look that up. But any thoughts? It's kind of boring, Cade Cunningham going to Detroit. It's great. It's absolutely great. Um, So here are my thoughts. Well, first of all, the Kings, they got nine. Nothing gets my heart beating faster than the moment where the – so there's always an inflection point in any draft, right, where it's like if your name doesn't get called, if you're one of the lower teams, your name doesn't get called at pick nine. That means you jumped, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's like the ninth pick, as that's getting revealed, I can't think of any more heart-pumping moment in my life. Even a game seven last play does not get me as hyped as waiting for that to be revealed. Because there have been years where I found out that it wasn't the Kings, and it's like, oh, we got number two pick, we got Bagley, or we got number five, we got Fox. So anyways, that first thing's first. Like I love the lottery. I think it's amazing. It's It's awesome to watch. Now, with the way it turned out, I think it's the best case scenario for the NBA. You're sending four out of the five top picks to the Eastern Conference where they need more talent. They need to shore up some of those teams. You don't reward any of these teams like the Warriors. You know, there were obviously the Warriors were not going to get a top four pick as protected, but they could have gotten higher. They ended up at seven, um, you know, from Minnesota. So they don't get that top five prospect. Uh, and they're also the other pick was 14. So you don't reward the good teams on a fluke basis. And Detroit, a team that no one really cares about, gets the top player, which, you know what, I, I'd i rather have that than him go to a bigger market or a bigger franchise. And maybe it's not as good for the NBA, but I think it's just good in terms of the distribution of talent. Um, so I, I had no problems with it, man. I was happy. Um, and there's nothing too wonky. Like if the Cavs got another number one pick, it would have been annoying. I know they still got four, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the biggest takeaway was that Houston pick to OKC coming back all the way to the James Harden trade. Right, one of the reasons they didn't take Simmons is they didn't want to be mediocre or like little, you know, slightly below average. Pick like eighth or ninth and have that pick convert. You almost have to add this pick to that Harden haul in a way because they were yeah. so reprehensibly bad this season that. They allowed him to stay at number you know, one, really, have a 52% chance to keep the pick. And not only that, what people don't understand is this pick doesn't roll over to next year. You know, like Minnesota's was top three protected. If they don't get it, you know, if Golden State doesn't get it, it goes to next year. This one's gone. Um, and so suddenly you have a really franchise-altering decision of either getting like a, a Mobley, Suggs, Cunningham, or giving it up and really kickstarting OKC's rebuild. So that was a story for me. 
Um, I think they're going to end up taking Mobley is my early guess, just to pair him with Christian Wood. Someone's a little bit more defense oriented, but you know, I don't think they can go wrong with any of those guys. Like none of the players on their team, like wall Gordon, like they're not long-term players. Right. So you're starting from scratch. You go best player available and just figure it out. Um, I do kind of like the power dynamic shifting back east, like you mentioned, assuming these guys turn <laughs> out to be stars, right? Like that that is kind of how it got to the West, right? After the Jordan years. That's how it sort of shifted back. Um but you know, what I'm curious to see is someone like Detroit, do they just fire sale Jeremy Grant, right? Because they he doesn't really fit their timeline now. Or someone like Toronto. They have a rebuild in place. Do they get rid of Siakam and Van Vliet and just start again with, um, you know, with Ananobi, for example, in this new pick and a couple other guys? Because like Siakam's twenty-seven, like Van Vliet, yep. I think is up there as well. These aren't young guys, and so a couple teams that wanted to win, they didn't for whatever reason. They have a really kind of odd uh, differentiation between youth and age. So what they choose to do in that rebuild will be really fascinating because. Hey, some of these guys could be good enough that they can contribute year one, and suddenly mm-hmm. Toronto's able to quickly rebuild. Um, maybe they don't bring back Lowry, but around that rest of that core, plus you know Jonathan Kuminga, whoever they get. So I think that's something that's going to be interesting to watch going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think some of these teams it will be kind of a, a pivotal point to kind of do you change course and build around the new guy, or do you kind of incorporate him into the current team? Yeah. Um, I think the other interesting one was OKC. Oh, you already talked about OKC, but them, I really thought they were going to land in that top four. Um, and they don't, they have got so many picks. Between their pick and Houston's pick. Yeah. But, but like, yeah, that was definitely a, you were thinking more of the Houston lens. I was thinking about, damn, how OKC could have gotten like another one of these top guys to add to their treasure trove of assets. Um, I don't know, man. It'll be interesting. Like now it's, uh, the next month is just me watching Corey Kispert and Franz Wagner highlights because that's who we're probably going to end up with, someone in that range. But it's I'm uh, big on the Moses Moody, kid from Arkansas. Yeah, I have mixed feelings on Moody, but he a lot of Kings fans want him. The only bad, not bad, but really reactionary take I had is I said Luca's better than Kawhi no matter what happens in Game 7. <laughs> when did you say that? Right before Mavs Clippers game seven. Oh, okay. <laughs> In my defense, Luca had like 46, 14, and eight or something, and they lost. See, that's a cl- classic tweet. That's like. Uh... I also said, I think I'm at the stage where I'll be genuinely shocked if the Nets don't win the title. <laughs> well, that injury is that you can. Yeah. Kind of... um, let me see. Let me see. Um. If current series hold, imagine getting Dallas, Memphis, and Portland versus Phoenix. Because <laughs> Memphis was up 1 0 on Utah. Oh my God. That's bad. <laughs> if current series hold. But I, th- I did say they won't. Just consider it. So that's, that's not bad. Oh man. I said, I would consider sitting CP3 the rest of this one. It looks like the Monstars took his talent. Oh. <laughs> I'm reading mean tweets of, that I've written, basically. Oh, man. This is bad. We, we definitely have to make that a segment where we, yeah, we, no, take, we just have, unearth have, old tweets of yours that were super reactionary in the moment. and then just. I have some tough ones, but all right. 
that's a wrap for us. Um, anything else to add? No, no. All right. Just excited to watch the Bucks just slap the Hawks around tomorrow night, game one. All right, we'll check in when Atlanta's up 2-0, <laughs> but please rate, review, and subscribe uh, to Thick and Thin Hoops. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Thick Thin Hoops. And we will talk. To, I, I don't. I'm not gonna plug the mailbag because it's unclear if we even monitor it anymore. Um, I might have forgotten the password. But if you are writing, just text us instead. I think that would be more more effective. Uh, but thanks for listening as always, and we'll talk to you next week.